I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. You sometimes feel that person living your life is sort of not you. I mean, do you sometimes feel that to fit into our world today, we sometimes have to go with what the world is telling us we should be? I mean, does it actually feel good when people appreciate the person you're pretending to be? I find that to be quite interesting. I find that for so many of us, it's actually rare to live exactly like who we are, how we want to be. And so when I first read today's guest's book, How to Do You, I have to say, I even stopped at the title and I started to wonder why do so many people do anything else? I mean, why don't we? do ourselves. So I'm, I'm expecting a very interesting conversation. Today's guest is Jacqueline Hurst. She is the UK's leading life coach. She's the number one international best-selling author of How to Do You. And she is GQ Magazine's resident coach and columnist. She's a teacher and a renowned speaker. She has worked with over 8,000 clients worldwide over nearly two decades, where in her capacity as a certified life coach, as a master NLP practitioner, and as a certified health and weight coach. The success of How to Do You, I think, is an indication of how critical this topic of actually summoning the courage to be ourselves is in our society today. The book is described as a manual for life. And I think many of us need to read a little bit of that manual so that we have the guidance that we need to live as our true selves. I think you're going to enjoy today's conversation. Jacqueline is wonderful in every possible way. Jacqueline Hurst. It's so nice to meet you at last. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time, actually. So I, I want to talk about the book a lot, a lot, but I want to talk about you first. So you, what is it like to be a coach? What's that coach thing? I love it, actually. I feel very <laughs> lucky because I get to see people's truth. You know, in the beginning, it's about unraveling them to see the truth. But then I get to see it and I get to be part of it. And I get to watch people literally live a life over here and then they move to over here. And I get to be part of that and watch it. And it is really, I feel like it's an honor a lot of the time. And it's not, people seem to think that coaching and being coached, you go from A to B, but it's not like that at all. It's, you know, you've got that little jiggly line to go from A to B. And it's amazing to watch people grow through. I'm going to say go through, but I'm going to say grow through that process. It's an honor. It's a real honor. I love it. I really love it. Being part of people's journeys, I believe, is 
the ultimate honor, to be honest, regardless of how difficult it is. I mean, so I don't do one-to-one coaching, but uh, I frequently answer people's questions online or whatever. And sometimes just a tiny little pointer makes someone wake up to a reality about themselves. You know, you never really say anything new, honestly, but people just realize something about themselves that they haven't seen before. And that makes all the difference. It really changes almost everything. And I think it's, it truly is a privilege actually. It's a privilege, totally. And isn't it amazing that we can be aware enough and awake enough and conscious enough to be able to even understand this conversation? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And you also speak publicly, right? So you're, you're a speaker as well. Yeah, I teach. I have a school online and I speak. I do public speaking and I do lots of different things. I work privately one-to-one with people or I go into big corporates and do talks there. And yeah, there's, I do lots of different things. I juggle, I juggle. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a bit of the fun, but all of them are centered around that idea of let me help you see your true self. Yeah, it's centered on that. It's also centered on let me teach you how to think properly. And people say, huh, what, what do you mean? But I'm a really big believer that we are not taught how to think. We're taught at school, right? Like maths and geography and history and all of these things are relevant. But no one ever said to me, Jacqueline, this is how you manage your mind and in turn live a life that's peaceful, no matter what's going on. And that's what I do. So it's very hard to put it in a nutshell of like, hey, this is it. But mainly it's about mindset and it's about how to have a really strong resilient minds, no matter what the situation. Why is it that, I mean, it's, it sounds so logical when you think about it, that this probably should be the very first thing that we are taught. Absolutely. But for most of us, we are never, ever, ever told about that at all. And I struggle with that because I often talk to very, very highly influential people, like we're handing over sort of our next to them, right? And yeah, they have no idea really. They're, they're really good at what they do, but they're not very good at at working with themselves, if, if that makes any sense. Organizing themselves in a way that's good for themselves. Totally. It's emotional intelligence, right? So we, we get taught about academia and we, we get taught that that's the most important thing, academic intelligence. But for me, that was never the case. For me, it was about emotional intelligence, which mattered much more to me than things that I could learn at school. Like I needed to understand my mind. I needed to understand my feelings. I needed to understand about how to talk to people. Like these were things that mattered a lot to me that I, as you said, you know, we don't get taught this. So I think when we understand how important the emotional intelligence is, we can really fly. Because we get stuck. Emotional intelligence be taught? Is that something that you can teach someone? I mean, aren't emotions part of how we're built? Yes, because what happens is, and again, it's something that we don't think about because we haven't been taught, but how we think in our mind is what creates how we feel. And obviously people can say, yeah, yeah, I get that. I understand that. But a lot of the time we don't understand that because we don't even know the difference between what's a thought and what's a feeling, right? So a thought is what's going on in our mind and a feeling is what's happening ultimately. It's an emotion, right? An energy in motion. It's in our body. And so the head is what creates that feeling, not 
the situation that we're in, or my lover said this, or my mother said that, or my brother did this. That's not the problem. It's always how we think about that that generates how we feel. And that's where the problem is, because we can either think about it in a way that's negative, or we can think about it in a way that's neutral. And even the thought to say to ourselves, oh, I can think about that differently, is interesting, right? Because we don't even do that. We don't even realize that we can. And this stuff's so important. This definitely, I, I actually was writing this today, okay? So today I'm editing my fourth book and it's about stress and how our life is so stressful. And I compared, and this is actual statistic information. So I compared what I call external macro stressors, basically PTSD inducing like trauma, serious trauma, you know, losing a loved one or going through a war or whatever. And statistically, interestingly, 90%, 91 to be very specific, of everyone that's actually exposed to trauma will recover within six months, 91%. And yet our world is full of incredible stress, right? Burnout, you know, breakdowns, all of that. And interestingly, none of that is related to a major event in life. Most of it is related to how we think about things. And, you know, I talk about what I call obsessions and noise, right? So obsessions are those single concepts that some of us hold on to so tightly over 20 years and just constantly keep reinforcing them and believing them while they've never really happened. They just happened inside our heads and and all of the noise that we get on day-to-day basis that turns everything negative and then we end up completely killing ourselves. When in reality, it's just the thought. It's not really life at all. Life is actually okay. It's the thought that makes us so miserable. Absolutely. And it's understanding about our thoughts, right? Like that our thoughts are not facts. And a lot of the time we have a thought in our mind, don't we? And we make it a fact. We say, this is what it is. And therefore that is how this must be. And then we start to live accordingly to that thing, which is not a fact. It's something created in our mind. And that's why thought works so important, right? It's yeah. so important. So how did you learn all of this? I mean, are you of a psychology background? Did you go on a journey and go in a monastery somewhere? How did it all start? So for me, it started when I was very young. I had a very unconventional upbringing and a very unconventional life. And it looked lovely on the outside. And on the inside, it was emotionally painful, I think you would say. And then... When I was around 15, I got um, heavily involved into drugs, um, alcohol, anorexia, depression. I mean, you name it, I did it. And I was using drugs very heavily from the age of 15 to 25. And yeah, I was really in serious addictions in lots of different ways. And my life was a mess. I had suicide attempts. I mean, you name it, I just didn't want to, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle being here. And then at the age of 25, things really shifted for me. I just had this one day where I realized, you know, I can either carry on and just lead a life that's utterly miserable, constantly trying to end it, or I can try to make a change. And it was just a, was a moment that I, I couldn't even tell you how or why. It was just literally a, something bigger than me, just something just flipped and switched. And so I changed my life. It was a life-changing moment. I went into recovery. I did lots of things like Narcotics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous. I did therapy. I did loads of different things. And I found along the way that 
no one could really help me get to that space that I really needed to get at. I think sometimes with things like addiction, our brain, we're quite clever and we can maneuver away our way around things. And I felt with a lot of therapists, as, as helpful as it was, there was also a missing link for me that I could sort of maneuver over here or maneuver. And, you know, if I didn't really want to talk about that thing, that I could maneuver over there and the, the therapist wouldn't understand it. And I wasn't really helping myself and I wasn't really getting the help that I really, really needed to move on. And so I decided it was time to study. And if I could study the brain and lots of different ways around how to get my head right, then maybe I could be free. And that's what I did. So I went around the world. I studied in Miami. I studied in New York. I studied in India, Switzerland, Germany, you name it. And I just did all these different courses and lectures. And I was listening to things all day long and study, study, study. And then it just started. This whole process started. And I think I realized that I had gone through such an extreme life, life experiences in order to give back on a really deep level. And it made sense. It suddenly started to make sense. So yeah, it wasn't just one thing I was, you know, dealing with. I was dealing with lots of different things. It was very dark for a very long time. But I am a believer that we, when we can understand our mind and be in charge of our mind and control our mind, we can have the most amazing life. And I'm proof of that. I absolutely agree. Mm. Yeah, absolutely agree. question that I normally get when I speak about happiness is when people tell me, it's not about me, I'm okay, but I have someone in my life who's unable to make that switch, the switch that you made at 25. And I can see that. I even have friends in my life who are struggling, eating disorders or a little bit of an, an excessive negativity and so on. And it is very difficult to help them see that this switch can be done? Do you have any advice or tips for that? It's a really good question though. I mean, the first thing I would say is that I can only help somebody who wants to be helped. Like if they mm -hmm. want to be helped, come on through the office and come and talk to me and I've got all day long for you. We can do loads of work. But if they don't want to be helped, it's almost impossible to help somebody. The only way that I would say that you could, I guess, behave as the word is to you continue to be you and you continue to be authentic and you continue to be honest and you continue to talk about how you have moved from A to B or how you have changed. But other than that, I think it's very hard to help people that just don't want to be helped. Yeah. Disappointing, really, because as you rightly said, the knowledge is there. If they choose to be helped, yeah, you can. You can really go from anywhere to anywhere. It, it really doesn't matter. It may take longer if you're deeper into it, but it's doable. I personally found that the only way that worked was to just, yeah, of course, definitely be yourself, but also accept them as they are, if you know what I mean. Like sort of, it's okay to feel that way. I love you anyway. And when you keep bombarding them with love, they start to question and go like, why is this person nice to me? And why are they so happy? Like what's wrong with them? And yeah. then eventually they start to ask like, do you know a secret that I don't know? Maybe you can tell me something. Right. Yeah. 
So I want to talk about how to do you. How to do you got me, you know, that very cheesy line of you got me at hello. What yeah. was it? Yeah. Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think this needs to be erased from the movie history and from our minds. But if it exists, we're going to use it. I really got stopped by the title. And I, I'll tell you that very, very openly. Because it shocked me in a way. I mean, it's so valuable. This is a very valuable manual. But it's so shocking in a way that we actually need the manual to be us. It's like, aren't we supposed to be us? What's wrong with us? I don't think there's anything wrong. I think that we we are just not taught how to be living in the 21st century. We are living in this time where we are bombarded by social media, news every five seconds. I mean, I have the BBC News come up, you know, whenever there's a headline, something pops up on my phone. There's information overload. There's comparison. There's, you can see everything today. And there's so much in this world that is just noise. And we are all tuned into the noise instead of into ourselves. And so this was a big reason why I wrote the book of like, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of us are disconnected, right? We've just disconnected. And I think we learned that through the pandemic where most of us were running around before and the pandemic, I believe is like on a universal level was like, no, 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 you guys all need to slow down. Nature has to bloom again. <laughs> Everything needs to be clear again. And I think that we are so busy outside of ourselves and all of this stuff that I felt like I just needed to write this book so people could come back home again, come back to themselves and learn how to be sitting with their soul comfortably. With their soul. That's a very, very interesting way of saying it. What does that mean? I think that we have either the ego or the soul. And we're either working, I mean, we're getting deeper, but we're either working from a space of ego, you know, me, 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 more, more, more. I haven't got enough. I need more. I'm not good enough. I've got to have, I've got to, I've got to have, I've got to get They're better. Or you can work from a space which is from your soul, which is ultimately love, which is peaceful, which is there's enough to go around, which is to be able to sit comfortably with ourselves. And this is the things that we're not talking about. And these are the things that we need to talk about if we want to have a peaceful life, which doesn't, I'm not saying, you know, go and sit on a mountain and meditate for 24 hours a day. I'm just saying to sit with your soul is important and to be comfortable in that space where you're not agitated or freaked out or needing to do something to not sit there. When you get your mind right, you get your life right. <laughs> yeah, but I think most people will say, oh, I don't have the luxury for that. I have to earn and I have to catch up with my uh, peers who are ahead of me and my neighbor has a, a better sofa than mine and I have priorities. I'll get to that soul thing in, in time, in time. It's going to take me a year, two, seven, but I, I have other priorities. And uh, would you blame them for that? I mean, it's not something that is wrong. Is it? There's nothing wrong with that, but I think that it depends what's important to you. And I definitely got to a space in my life where the most important thing to me, the most successful thing I could do was to have peace. Like that's all I wanted. So you can have a Ferrari, right? You can work and get a Ferrari. You can work hard and, I don't know, get a yacht or a handbag or a pair of shoes you love. Like you can get all those things. But if if you're happy with that and there's no void there after, I don't know, what, a month of having it, maybe two, maybe 10 minutes in some people's cases, in which case that's great. But I just think that inner peace is really the place to be headed. And that doesn't require you to like give up your job to get there. 
it just requires a little bit of work on your part, even if you did like five, 10 minutes every day to ask yourself the question, what am I thinking? Are my thoughts working for me or are my thoughts working against me, right? Am I comfortable? If I'm not comfortable, why am I not comfortable? What's happening in my head? Like these are questions we can ask ourselves and that's effortless. It doesn't actually take that much effort if you want it. And your book is really a guide to some of that. So what you're trying to say is there is a way to systemically include in your life something like your commute every day or the calls that you have with review uh, meetings with your boss or whatever. There are habits, there are sort of rituals, let's call them, that would allow you to have that meeting with you, really have that meeting with your soul. Tell us a bit about that. I mean, it's a bit more basic. It's basically saying, ultimately, if you don't want to feel anxious and you don't want to feel scared and you want to feel confident and peaceful and calm, this book will show you how to do that effortlessly. And it's really as simple as that. When you learn to get your mind right, you learn to get your feelings right, and then your actions become better and your outcomes become better. Because I think most of the time people want to talk about actions, right? And they want results. But I'm always into the like, the results to me are the last thing I want to talk about. The first thing I want to talk about is your head. Because when your head's right, your results are right, yeah? If your head's not right, you can get the results, but then it's not going to really mean anything to you. So that's really what the book is. The book is saying that. The book is saying these are the tools and the techniques that I've used that have helped me grow exponentially with my own self-development. And this is the work that I've worked with over 8,000 people or something now, that it's done the same for them. And so this is the tool to use to get there too. Because ultimately it's about waking us up, right? Becoming conscious and aware of what's happening in this mind of ours that we aren't sort of controlling and we can and we should be. And then it becomes natural. Spill the beans, a few of those tools. <laughs> So one of the things I talk about is I call it the generation model. And it's not, this is nothing new. It's just put in a way that's kind of basic, which I think is helpful for us when we start this journey of self-development. And what it says is that the situation, which is a fact that we're in, he says this, she does that, the plane is delayed, it's pouring with rain. It's never that that creates our problem. It's our thought process that does. So our thoughts generate how we feel, how we feel generate what we do or don't do, and then what we do or don't do generates our results. So it's important to start to ask ourselves the questions, what am I thinking? What am I thinking? What am I thinking? And that's step one of like being aware of what we're thinking in the first instance. And then secondly, running through these models all the time to work out how do I do this differently? And it's basically brain training. I say that a lot to my clients. Like if I get in the car in London, I'm going to be looking up at my wing mirror on the left, right? I'm going to get in my car, look up at my wing mirror. And that's what my brain knows to do. But if I say to my friends, right, now we're going to go to France, then we're going to be getting in the car on the left-hand side. And our brain is automatically going to look up for the wing mirror, but it's going to be in the wrong place. So we've got to look to the right instead of the left. And then after a few days of that, our brain automatically goes there. And so this is why it's like when people say it's effort. Well, it might be for a little bit, but eventually your brain will click in and you're naturally thinking in a way that's more neutral. You know, I'm not into like, I love the idea of positive thinking, but for me, 
standing in a mirror and doing affirmation, for me, it didn't work. I can't stand there saying, you're confident, you're confident, you're confident, if I don't believe that I am. And so that's why this work is really important, because this is teaching you how to find thoughts that you believe to be true. And that, for me, is the switch. This is so key. I mean, you're probably the first that says this so publicly. I shy away from those things because a lot of people believe in them. But whatever it is that you say, if you say it a hundred times, a thousand times, a million times, and you don't believe it, it's not as if you're saying it at all, right? An affirmation is to actually believe that you're confident, that you believe that you can be confident, that you believe that you are able to deal with that world and that this is within you. People don't do that in affirmations, do they? I mean, many don't. I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? And that's the beauty of this kind of work. Like, if that works for you, I'm going to say, go do it. Like, seriously, if that is something that you believe works for you, then that's important because not everything works for everyone because we're all different. For me, it didn't work. I couldn't stand there, look at myself in a mirror and say to myself, I'm confident, I'm confident, when I just didn't believe I was. So I had to learn how to do it differently, which was through, you know, learning how to think differently could then provide me that feeling of confidence. Because when I can look at things differently, I can feel different. You also studied and taught NLP, right? So is, is there a bit of that in the, in the language that you use and the words that you use that reprograms your brain? I mean, yeah, a little bit of it. It's a mixture of everything. But, you know, I did like NLP. I studied with this guy in Miami. He was really, unfortunately, he passed away, but he was really a special man. And he taught me, he literally blew my brain wide open when he taught me about neuro-linguistic programming. And some of the things he taught me were just, I just couldn't believe it. And But one of the things he he talked about a lot was language and how important the language is that we use towards ourselves mainly and of course with other people like language is key you know if we're walking around with unconscious thinking of like I hate myself I'm not good enough I'm not this enough I'm not that enough then you're going to start to act accordingly right you're going to believe it's true and you're going to act accordingly but when you find different language everything can change right it's like I don't have to love myself but I could accept myself that language is already different and then everything works from a different level Mm. Let's take a practical example. One of our listeners today just had an argument with her or his boyfriend, girlfriend, and the brain immediately goes into thoughts like uh, he or she doesn't love me anymore. Honestly, if I look at it as an engineer with facts, the situation did not suggest that. The situation suggested an argument, but the brain will jump into, if we argue, that means we're not in love anymore. But the brain is very clever. So the brain convinces you that this is the truth and you start to turn your entire life around that situation that, hey, I need to start reacting to this, not to the argument really. How does someone first realize that this is the wrong thought, the wrong language, the wrong influence on yourself to start with before we can start to do anything about it? It's a really good question. So practically, I would say if that was happening, the first thing I would ask someone to do is to sit down with a pen and paper and write down what their thoughts are. He doesn't love me anymore. He's trying to finish with me. He's this, he's that, he's this, he's that. And I would then ask them to have a look at those thoughts. And first of all, ask yourself, are these thoughts, thoughts that are making me feel good or making me not feel so good? 
if their thoughts that are making us not feel so good, it's very likely that those thoughts are not true. Because the real thoughts, yeah, our real thoughts feel good. The facts, they feel better. The lies that we tell ourselves, they never feel good. Then I think I would ask them to have a look at that thought, he doesn't love me anymore. And I would say, well, could you prove that for me? Prove it. And at this point, people are going, oh, well, um, well, it's because um, he didn't come home on time. And it's just an interesting one, isn't it? To actually pick that apart and say, so what you're saying is, because he doesn't come home on time, he does not love you. And I think when you hand that back to someone, then they go, oh, yeah, that doesn't really make sense. That sounds a little stupid, right? <laughs> but we go there, right? When our mind isn't managed, we go there. We go to those places, which is why this work that I teach, you know, and talk about in my book is so important because most people are living like that now. He's late, so he doesn't love me. And we make all these assumptions. We assume all these things because we're coming from our mindset and our life and our views and everything we've been brought up with. There's so much that goes on, which is why this work is so important for people to do. Because as I said, it's life-changing work. When we unravel this stuff, people come to me sometimes more and they're like, that's it. I'm leaving my wife. And I'm like, you're not doing anything like that until you get your head right. And it changes. Can I ask you a personal question? So after 20 years of work, do you feel that you're there or? Never. Never. The more, the more I go along, the less I know. Honestly, That's I feel amazing, you know, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I feel like this is stuff that I feel like I'm a sponge with this stuff. And I'm so open to learning more and more and more. And the more I go along, the more I think, gosh, there's so much to learn. And, and also, I, I often think about communication with people. Like, the more I understand the brain and how we work as people, Like, I think, how do people ever communicate? <laughs> you know, we're all coming from such different places with such different views and such different thoughts. And how does that even work? I don't yeah, think we have learning. I chose a long time ago to listen. I think that made a very big difference. I think once you lose the urge to say anything, at least for me, I feel I communicate a lot better because I, it's all about understanding what the other person is saying. It's just so refreshing when you lose the urge to speak. It's so interesting. I mean, of course, there are times where you come in and say exactly what you want to say. I normally do that when it's very well thought through, if you want, which I think is a bit of a, a defect. Maybe I should blabber a little more. But the truth is, it's actually quite interesting how when we truly, truly, truly listen, what the other person says is understood. It doesn't make sense. Sometimes they say some really weird stuff, but at least it becomes understood. I find that quite interesting. And I think we don't know how to listen, right? Like we have to learn to listen. Yeah. 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 You know, when I, when I joined my very first job, I worked at IBM and IBM was amazing. It was still in its glory at the time. And they had something that was called the sales school. So you join as a salesman. I joined as a technical person, but then two years later moved to business and they refuse for you to meet a client until you finished something that's called the sales school, which was a six course, six weeks course. Uh, and the first, first two weeks, entire two weeks of training are not about the products. They're not about how to pitch and negotiate and how to build a presentation. The first two weeks were called the listening skills course. 
So literally, they sit you in the room day after day after day after day after day after day, and you listen, okay? And then they ask you, what did you hear? And then you ask the second day, they tell you, okay, let's teach you about clarifying questions. You listen, and then something doesn't really sound clear. Can you ask, what's the right question you can ask to clarify? It was so interesting. Two weeks of that, right? Amazing. And yeah, and then pitching comes at the very, very far end, you know, saying what you want is at the very far end, isn't it? It's so true. And also how we are in business versus how we are at home, right? Like, oh, yeah. There's that too, right? So you can learn that at work and you can do this two week course, but then does one take that home and do the same with their wife or their husband? I think life would change if we did. I think so too. If we took genuine interest of all of the 8,000 clients that you worked with, I mean, I'm absolutely certain you talk a lot about how to verify what your brain is telling you to think, to reframe thoughts and so on. What would be one more tip that you told most of them that most of us humans struggle with? I think that's the biggest thing I hear you know, people present with all these different symptoms. I have a binge eating disorder or I can't stop drinking or I can't hold down a relationship or I don't know what job I want to do or whatever, whatever. But actually, as we unravel that thinking and unpack that thinking, fundamentally, it usually comes down to, boom, boom, boom. I feel like we need a drum roll. <laughs> drum roll. <laughs> I feel like it comes down to I'm not good enough. I agree. Yeah, that's it. Like that is it. That's probably going to be the next title of my book. <laughs> you know, you're good enough. <laughs> because I think yeah. the I'm not good enough spreads out in all these different areas. And if we did believe we were good enough, I'm not talking ego level of like, I'm amazing and above everyone. No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. But like, I'm just good enough. I decide what's good enough. I think if we could have that belief as a society, I think that we would see a lot more people would really bring their, their A-game in that space. It would be a, a fascinating society to live in if people lived from that space of I'm good enough versus I'm not good enough, for sure. Yeah, I'm 100% with you. I totally am there. I mean, I always say the biggest reason for unhappiness in the modern world is lack of self-love, lack of self-appreciation, lack of self-respect, if you want. And I think that it stems from an upbringing for most of us that says, try harder try harder. You can do better than this. Yeah, I agree. Everyone can do better than what they're doing. Even if you're an Olympic champion, you can cut off a fraction of a second on your time, but, but that doesn't mean you're bad. And I think that's the whole mind shift difference. It's like, I'm a good man. I can be better, but I'm a good man. I think that realization changes everything because then you don't try to prove anymore. You don't feel guilty anymore. You don't feel shame anymore. You, you know, all of those things start to go away. You start from a positive place. And instead of wasting most of your effort on things that are draining you really, which are trying to convince to yourself that you're good enough, you start from a positive place of, hey, I'm, I'm okay. I'm happy with me. I can do better, but that doesn't mean anything's wrong with me. Yeah. And also that your worth is not defined by anything outside of you, right? Like your worth is not defined by your job title. It's not defined by your wife or your status or the money in your bank or the car that you drive. Like your worth is defined by you as you are. And I think when we can understand that too, I think that's also quite powerful. Like 
I get to define my worth. No one else gets to define that for me. I get to decide if I'm good enough, right? Like I'll do this podcast with you, Mo. There might be some people that love it. There might be some people that think it's absolute rubbish. I can't control any of that. I don't think anyone will think it's rubbish, but yes, go on, go on. But if they did, (laughs) but if they did, I don't have any control over that, right? So as long as I go away thinking, have I had the best conversation? Have I enjoyed myself? Have I talked with Mo and have we had fun with this? And have we, have you and I had a good time doing this conversation? And if we help someone, great. And if we don't, we don't. As long as I'm comfortable with that, then I release everything else. And I think that's a really powerful place for us to get to. I think that's a beautiful way of looking at it, to be honest. What about comparison then, Jacqueline? I don't believe in comparison at all, right? Like I really don't. I remember when I started my business and people were like, you know, so have you like the marketing people, like I would chat to over dinner and like friends of mine that were like in marketing and they'd say, so, you know, have you checked out all the other life coaches in your area? And I look at them like they'd just spoken a different language. Like what? Like what? I never understood why I would do that because I'm not interested in what someone's doing around the corner, right? Like good luck to them. I'm happy that they do what they do. But for me, it was very much about put my blinkers on and go and give the world what I had. And that didn't involve what someone else down the road was doing. I always say about comparison, the only time we could ever use comparison, Mo, is if we're in a science lab and that we have two test tubes of whatever it is that go into the same (laughs) test tube at the same time, under the same light, in the same temperature, then okay, go ahead, like use comparison. But other than that, what is the point? We're all different. How can you how can you compare different with different? It just doesn't make any sense. Oh, that's so profound. Sadly, what humans normally do is they compare what's missing in them to what's most prominent in someone else. And they forget that's what they have and what's prominent in them is missing in that someone else. And it's really, really stupid because you think that you can be the best at everything in the world and that you can have everything there is to be had in the world. And you know, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, to be honest. But also I think comparison's interesting because I write for GQ magazine. I wrote a really good article for them about comparison, specifically about success and comparison. And in that article, I mentioned that if you're comparing, it's because you think you lack, just as you've said, Mo, and that person has this thing except you're only looking at like one twentieth of that person's life. And that's the issue. It's like, how can you compare this one twentieth to your whole life versus one twentieth of theirs? Like, how do you know if that that person might have, I don't know, got, I don't know, what do I say? Like they've managed to get 20 pounds in the bank and you've only managed to get seven pounds in the bank. But that's only one area. Like, what about them as a person? Are they a good sister, mother, friend? Are they able to conceive and have children? Are they able to, are they kind to people? Are they doing charity? Are they this? Are they this? Are they this? And we're only just going, no, 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 but they've got this and I haven't got that. Like, it's very small. It's very short-sighted. Yeah. While I recommend for people to not compare at all, I actually sometimes say, and if you really want to compare, compare downwards. Look at what's missing in them. Instead of seeing that they have $20 in the bank, see that they don't have love in their life. When you compare that way, if you have love in your life, you'd feel very happy if you compare. You'd feel gratitude, really. You'd you'd be able to see the truth of what life is about, I think. I also think, Mo, it's such a waste of our energy, like mentally, spiritually, emotionally, to compare ourselves to someone else. Like, 
use that energy to make your life better. Like focus yeah. on your own lane. Focus on your own lane. It's much more fun. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes when you really think about it, the number of cycles we live inside our heads, if we actually use those cycles to do something useful, you may invent the next hydrogen collider or something absolutely. like that. Hydrogen collider. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Exactly. It's crazy, like, isn't it? Yeah. Do that instead. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, do yeah. That. Or something else. It doesn't have to be that sophisticated. Jacqueline, I am really, really, really grateful for your time today. You I don't know if people are listening to us on audio or we're planning to start releasing videos soon, but you have to see how chill that wonderful lady is. It's like, you know, you can see calm popping out of her face, out of her smile. It's like, yeah, life is okay. And I love that. I hope you felt it, everyone, during this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Jacqueline, thank you so much for your time today and for your chill wisdom. I love it. Thank you, Mo. Honestly, it's an honor for me to be honest. I've been listening to your podcasts basically since you started. And I just think it's amazing. You're bringing so much into the world. And every time I listen to a podcast, I get something from it. I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. Like it's a big thing for me. So as I said, thank you. I'm not bringing anything at all. I'm bringing you and you're, you're bringing lots of valuable things to the world. For all of you listening, I would definitely suggest how to do you. I think this is a very interesting read. I definitely would suggest that you follow Jacqueline. I think you'll learn quite a bit, read her articles and her work. And uh, yeah, chill. I think chill is an interesting way of looking at life. Reframe things to the facts of what they are. And I think when we really, really, really look deep, I couldn't agree more. It's lack of self-love. It's I'm not good enough. Well, I'm telling all of you, you're totally good enough. And I'm very grateful that you spend one hour of your time with me every week. I think that's very good, actually. That's not just good enough. So well done, everyone. I love you all for listening, and I will see you next time.